Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Hey, good morning. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Brian. I am the lead pastor here at uh, Grace City. So just want to extend a uh, welcome. So glad uh, that you're here. I, I do want to say, um, despite your lack of cheers, uh, apple picking is the most wonderful New England thing uh, to do in this moment. And so if you're um, married or engaged uh, with kids or without kids, uh, join us this coming Saturday, uh, or if you fall in the other uh, brackets as well, just make sure you fill out the card. Um, I love Sunday mornings. I love being uh, in this environment. Um, but it's not super conducive to getting to know one another. And so those are the kind of spaces that we've created so that we can, um, you know, there's nothing like creating a a bond and a union over a a hot cider donut, right? I had four yesterday, so I know um, it's just strong. Anyways, all right, so uh, I won't go into my spill there, but I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, We're in a series that we've entitled uh, The Jesus Movement. And essentially what we've been looking at um, over the last few weeks together is essentially um, the the beginning of the church, the creation of the church. We, um, as a church, we feel called um, in the city of Boston, in New England, in greater Boston, um, we feel called by God uh, to um, take the way of Jesus to friends and classmates and professors and coworkers and spouses, um, kind of wherever, whatever stage of life that you find yourself in, uh, we feel um, compelled by God to do that. But the reality is, that we won't be able to do that as a people uh, effectively um, if we don't know where we come from, if we don't know our background, if we, we can't understand kind of our roots and our DNA. And so that's kind of what we've been looking at over the last uh, couple of weeks together is, is the formation of the church, the, the creation of the church. And we've been primarily doing that uh, through the, the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible, we're gonna be in Acts chapter 10 uh, is where we're gonna be at as Yasmin um, just read. And so let me kind of give you the, the kind of the primary thought and then we'll dive in and look at it in some, in some uh, a little more particular way. So here's kind of the, the primary thought. Um, so all throughout the book of Acts, and, and we see God do this really motivated by his love for his people and by his d- desire to see his name be made much of. Um, all throughout the book of Acts, we see God interjecting himself into the life of his church. We see him kind of moving into um, the, the individual lives of the people uh, who, are, who are there, who are part of his movement, who he is uh, calling to do that. This is what we see all throughout scripture. And one of the primary ways um, that we see God do it is through, now um, this is tricky because it's not something that we enjoy, but one of the ways that we see do it, God do it a lot is through confrontation. It's through confrontation. Hey, I'm gonna change my mic. Is there like an echo in the, is anyone else hearing that? Just me? Okay, great, I'll just deal with it. All right, so as long as you're okay. Um, we, we see it, we, we see him do it through the means of, of confrontation, of, of breaking in and confronting his people. Now, most of you are probably like, you know what? Um, I don't know that I need more confrontation. Like things are kind of feeling settled in this moment. You know, I, I, no one gets up and thinks, I couldn't. Uh, some people do, but you're messed up. Most people don't get up and think, I could use some confrontation today, you know? Most people are thinking I'm settled. But a, a great part of our Christian discipleship um, happens through confrontation. It, it happens through God doing this. Um, 
I, uh, this will probably surprise you, but I, I, so I was a middle school kid, not that part. Uh, all of us are middle school kids, but I was, uh, so when I was in eighth grade, my family, uh, we started going to church. So I kind of grew up, we would, um, we would drop into church at Easter, Christmas. We were those people. Do you know what I mean? Anybody else those people? Okay, so that was us. We kind of hop in in those kind of moments. And so when I was in eighth grade, we started going to a church. We were started getting a little more involved uh, in a church. And this is the part that'll probably surprise you, but as a middle school kid, um, I had a lot of energy and I really enjoyed attention. Like I really, like there was, you, you know what I mean? Like there was, I'm working through it with my therapist, but um, I really just loved attention and, uh, and, and just, just needed it. And so I, I brought that love of attention um, and, and I was a bit of a witty kid. I brought all that into my youth ministry. Now, youth pastors love witty kids who need attention. They don't. No, they actually don't. All right, so here, here's, um, here's what would happen. Uh, I would, I was in this and, and always had something like funny to say. Like I always just, there's just always something, even now, right? I've, I, I have a bit of a, my filter is stronger now than when I was a middle school kid, um, which is maturity. But uh, I, I, I would find myself just always making comments that were funny. And, and so the youth pastor in this group, um, uh, he was a guy named Mark Chandler. Um, he was so different from me. He, do you know, um, so he had the shirts that, he would wear the shirts that said, uh, Jesus is ugly because God beat him with a stick and it had a cross on it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's just how he was wired. Do you know, it was almost like a, a spray shirt. And some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Google it later. So this is just the guy that he was. But Mark saw something, um, he saw something in me. Like he, he saw um, a calling on my life that, that I didn't even realize as a, as a middle school kid. And so a lot of times what Mark would, Mark's really his gift to me um, as a middle schooler and then um, even into high school was his confrontation with me. Like that was a gift that he gave me. So he was continually pulling me aside. He was like, hey, that was funny. It was also kind of inappropriate, you know? And, and so he's like, hey, maybe we should, you know, and, and he began to take um, a significant portion of his time and begin to kind of lean into his relationship with me. Now, what, what was it that Mark was doing exactly? And this is what I think God does in his confrontation of us. So Mark wasn't after my wrong behavior so much as he was after my wrong beliefs. See, it's wrong beliefs that drive wrong behavior, is it not? Like you, you can deal with behavior. You can say, hey, stop doing that. Stop doing that. That's dangerous. That's not good for you. That's unhealthy. That's creating uh, conflict in your interpersonal kind of space. Like you can do that. But if you don't get underneath the incorrect beliefs, the behavior will never change. And so this is what we see um, God doing all the time throughout the book of Acts in, in, in the life of his church is dealing with and going after incorrect beliefs. This is what he's seeking to confront. Okay, so let's look at it. Um, let's look at this idea of, of God um, confronting us. So, so last week we looked at a guy named Saul uh, who was the, the number one kind of persecutor of the church. And, and what did we see last week? God did what? He confronted Saul. Saul became Paul, but it didn't, cut, it didn't happen until God confronted him on the road to um, Damascus. And so we're gonna see God um, do this again, that God is going to confront for the good of his people and in the glory of his name, God's gift to us is his confrontation towards us. And so we're gonna look at his confrontation and then ultimately we'll see 
um, how this conversation moves us into uh, moves us into um, conversion. Uh, so if you have your Bible, um, Acts chapter 10, let's start in verse 9, and then we're going to kind of work our way back, and then we'll come back forward again. Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 9, let's look at what, how God deals with Peter and kind of a faulty belief that Peter had in verse 9. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into this part of our text. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you've given us through it. God, we ask... Um, we just ask your Holy Spirit to help us um, in this moment uh, to give us um, insight and to uh, clear part, uh, clear away the parts inside of our mind and our heart that's dark that we're seeking um, to, to be far from you, God. We, we need your help in this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, says this. It says, the next day... Um, uh, the next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, uh, Peter, who this is kind of the leader that we're looking at this morning, this early Christian leader, it says, Peter went up uh, to pray on the roof uh, about noon. Uh, verse 10, he became hungry and wanted to eat, uh, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. And in it were all of these four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, uh, Peter says, no, Lord, uh, for you know of not eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Uh, again, a second time the voice said to him, what God, has made, uh, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times. And then suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Okay, so here's what's happening. Um, God is going to invite Peter into something really, really significant in a moment. He, he is going to, Peter is about to step into a, a really important, really kind of significant, uh, I, I would say um, the, the confrontation that God is going to have with Peter is probably maybe next to Saul's, the most uh, confrontate the, the most important confrontation that we see God um, do in the book of Acts because of what it's going to lead to. But before God, I want you to hear this, but before God could take Peter into this moment, before he could invite him into this moment, he needed to do what? He needed to address Peter's incorrect beliefs, his incorrect motives, his disordered desires. Right? This is what God does. Like God had a um, God had a destiny for Peter. He had a calling for Peter, and Peter was never going to step into the calling. He was never going to step into his destiny if he continued to operate with a faulty belief system. And so God says, "Hey, I'm going to address it." And, and so the text tells us um, the the text tells us that he he's there and he's on this roof, and then uh, something like a sheet comes down, and and I you know. Uh, maybe you're seeing that you're seeing like a bed sheet, right? Uh, it, it's probably more like a tablecloth. And so it says that he's hungry and he's on the roof and a, a tablecloth is opened up and then you have all of these various kind of uh, animals, like a, a smorgasbord of, of food and, and things that are happening. And then Peter, and he's hungry, right? And then Peter, in this moment, hears a voice that says, hey, Peter, uh, eat. And then Peter, what we can believe is Peter taking this kind of as a moment of like, okay, is God testing me? Is he, is he checking to see, you know, am I ritually clean? Am I, am, I, am I good? Kind of, I'm a Christian, but am I good? Also kind of a Jewish follower in this moment. 
So he tests me. He says, "No, Lord, you you know I won't. You you know I won't eat these things, uh, the reptiles, the four footed animals." He, he's like, "You you 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 know I'm clean. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go after these things. I'm not going to take these things." He, he's seeing this imagery, and, and God in this moment is, is going to again bring Peter into something. He says, "No, no, you, you Peter don't like you don't determine what I make is clean or unclean." You, you don't have the um, you don't have the ability uh, to to do that. The, the thing you have to understand, right? So, God's going to invite Peter to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, a part that's really important about this is the you have to understand the Hebrews' contempt for the Gentile people. Um, there's one commentator who said if you are a Jewish midwife, that you actually couldn't assist in the birth of a Gentile child because then you would be propagating their race. You couldn't eat with a Gentile. You couldn't go into a Gentile's house. They were considered an unclean people, people that you, you wouldn't associate with. It was a, a, an extreme, extreme type of prejudice and racism towards the Gentile people. This, this, is, this is what was wired into Peter. This is, um, this is what he uh, be- believed. And, and so despite the fact, because think about this, right? So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples before he leaves, take the gospel to the world, doesn't he? He says, take it to the world. He says, take it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the reality is, because of this faulty belief in thinking, the the reality was that we are now six years, we're six years from Jesus leaving, and the Christian movement is primarily Jewish. It's primarily a Jewish movement. Six years in. And so God now has decided, okay, it's, I'm, it's time for a confrontation. It's time for me to go after him. The way that, um, uh, the way that he does, the, the way that God does this um, is two ways. I want to look at two ways that God confronts Peter, in two ways essentially that God um, confronts us. Uh, the first one is he confronts us through, our, through a verbal interaction. He's going to confront Peter through a... Um, through a verbal interaction. Okay, so Peter has this table. Um, Peter is, is seeing this, but he also has his Jewish kind of dietary rules and, and things that are really out of bounds uh, for, his, for his table. And, and God, um, God just says to him, hey, I've made this clean. You, you don't make that distinction. You don't determine who's welcome into the kingdom of God. Like you, um, you don't, uh, Peter, you, you're not allowed to say these people can be a part of the kingdom of God, but these people can't. This group of individuals can be a part of the kingdom of God, but these part, people can't be a part of the kingdom of God. These people, based on their background and history, aren't allowed to be a part of the kingdom of God, but these people are allowed to be a part of the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus, uh, God is saying to Peter that that distinction doesn't come from you. All people made in the image of God, I'm doing something new through Christ. And, and so you can't do that. And, and, and I love this because um, this is, in a lot of ways, I think this kind of verbal confrontation, like, isn't this how God confronts us? Because I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, um, when are these moments where God has spoken to me? Well, it's, it's what? It's, it's when I'm, I'm reading the Bible, it's, it's maybe when I'm having a drink with a friend, or I'm in a prayer meeting, or I'm in a worship gathering, or I'm sitting underneath someone's teaching. I mean, these are moments where I'm, I'm, God uses those moments to confront me with something and, and say to me, hey, you have a, a faulty, you're living um, with a faulty mindset in this particular part of your life. 
Like you're, you're operating in a way that runs counter to the way of Jesus in this particular area of your life. You have um, kind of unhealthy motivations in this area. You have false beliefs in this area. You have incorrect assumptions in this area. You have disordered desires in this area. Like, isn't this what he does for our good? See, he, he kind of goes after us. He, he's after our growth. So he's not, gonna, he's not gonna leave us in that place. He, he doesn't bring us through... Um, Painful, he doesn't bring us to the painful process of Christian maturity just to scar us, it's to grow us. This is what he's doing, um, this is what he's doing with Peter. And so Peter had this deep-seated um, prejudice and racism and belief about a people that God had to deal with. Now, here's the interesting thing um, that I think is so insightful about Peter. Uh, where does Luke tell us Peter is where? He's where? He's on a roof. He's on a rooftop. Now, a rooftop back in the day, it would have been uh, flat. There's probably an awning that um, he could be under the shade. And the rooftop was easily accessible. So this would be a place where you would go to get away from the kind of the hustle and the bustle of the household. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's the bathroom for you. So he's on the rooftop. Um, he's on the rooftop. And, and Luke tells us that he's doing what? That he's praying. He's praying. He's made space. This was so convicting for me. I was reading it, and it's not even like the main thought this morning, but I was reading it, I thought, oh, shoot. Like Peter, yes, is confronted by God, but Peter made space to hear from God, didn't he? Like he made sure that he had removed himself from the busyness of the household so that he could even have this moment to then hear from God. And he got this from, right? He got it from Jesus. He, all throughout Jesus' uh, ministry and discipleship, he's what? He's pulling away so that he can hear from the Father. And so Peter's just doing it. And I was like, oh, shoot. And I thought, man, okay, what, what exists in my life that keeps me from properly hearing from God? It's a question we have to deal with. Like, what, is, what exists in your life that, that keeps you from properly hearing from God? I mean, we're, Listen, we live in the most, um, I can't think of a, a more, uh, a greater time in our, in our culture, right? Like our cultural moment is just a moment of distractions, a moment of connection, right? We got our, got our phone with our notifications. With the, like our phone knows us better than we know us, doesn't, doesn't it? it like, no, it's like, okay, it's 1.30, time to hit him with that notification. Do you, I mean, just like it under, it's got the algorithms, guide us, it's got us. And so I was thinking like, okay, is it my phone, right? I don't know, is it social media? Is it the news? Is it, what is it for you? Like, um, what is, um, maybe for you, maybe for you, for you to properly hear from God, you need to find your rooftop. You need to find this, the space that Peter found himself in. And, and so he's like, okay, I wanna, I wanna hear from you. I wanna receive something from you. Like, give it to me. So he's, so he's on, on the, the rooftop to, um, here. Okay, so, so Peter's there. He's fallen into this trance. Um, and then three men from someone named Cornelius then show up in the middle of this kind of thing that's happening uh, among Peter. And so the, they knock on the door. Now, three Gentile individuals knocking on the door of a household of Jewish Christian followers is going to get the attention of the household because they, they, don't, they don't mix and mingle. They don't interact with people. And so these three individuals knock on, knock on the door and they're like, um, 
hey, is there a guy named Peter here? Uh, we were told to come to Simon the Tanner's house and find, uh, and find Peter. He, he has something that he's supposed to uh, say to us, and so we need to know him. Here, here's what's about to happen for Peter. Peter has a verbal um, confrontation with God, which is important. God speaks to us, and then he confronts us. The, the, second, the second way that God's about to confront Peter is through an experience. It's through an experience. And so these men are, 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 at, the, are at the door, and, um, and, and Peter's like, okay, um, Peter's like, okay, what, what, is, what is happening? So the text tells us that Peter goes um, with these three men, and Peter actually takes six other Jewish men with him because uh, seven people can, are considered a witness in the spirit. So he's like, hey, if I'm gonna go to a household full of Gentile individuals, I'm gonna go, because God's told me to go, but if I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take you guys with me. They're probably like, nah, I'd rather not. No, nah, I'm not feeling that. They're like, no, no, we need you. I'm gonna need you to come with me. And so it says, all of these individuals went on a 35 mile trek towards Cornelius's house. Can't imagine what the conversation was like. You know, these two very different um, individuals uh, are, are there. And so they're, they're going, they're heading towards Cornelius's house now. And Peter, is about to step into an experience that will forever mark him. Significant moment um, in the in the life of uh, in the life of Peter. So, okay, um, in verse twenty four of Acts chapter ten, it tells us that Cornelius has gathered all of his close friends and and gathered all of his family. So he's like, hey, Peter's coming over. This Christian leader named Peter's coming. Uh, I need you to come over. Come over. So he's got all of his household. He's got his friends. He's this is a. Um, uh, he's got some pool. We'll kind of get into his story more here in a second, but he's got all the people in the room. He's, he's got them all there. And then the text tells us, Luke says that when, when Peter comes in, Cornelius falls on the ground and starts to worship him. This is how moved, this is how moved Cornelius is by God in this moment. He's falling down. So Peter's like, dude, get up. And then look at the text, Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 28. This is how Peter starts the meeting um, this is how Peter starts the meeting with them. Verse 28, it says, Peter said to them, uh, you know it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Verse 29, but that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you, uh, so, may, so may I ask why you have sent me? Okay, not a great way to start, Right? What a, what a posture of hospitality from Peter. He's like, just want everybody to know, I would normally would not find myself in this environment. Just in case anyone's listening, I'm a Hebrew, uh, I'm a Jewish heritage, now following the way of Jesus. I am now in a room full of Gentiles, a household full of Gentiles. I think you're all unclean. And I wouldn't normally associate with you, but I am. Because God sent me. God sent me. So he's like, can anyone, can you imagine this? I freaking love this picture. He's like, can anyone tell me why I'm here? Because he doesn't even know. He has the confrontation with God. He's got a little bit of clarity on what's going on, but now he finds himself in a household full of Gentiles. He's like, can someone tell me what is going on? Now, Cornelius, um, uh, Cornelius just teased Peter up in this moment, right? He just sets Peter up for, like, he, he just, I mean, this is the, if you are a preacher, like, this is the moment that you want. I mean, this is it. I mean, Cornelius is like, 
Yes, let me tell you, Peter, what's going on. I saw an angel. I had a divine vision. Now, Cornelius has got pull. He's got influence. He is, this is, this is the guy that you're gonna listen to. And he says, I had this angel show up and he said, there's a guy named Peter at Simon the Tanner's house. You need to go get this man because he has something he wants to say to you. He has good news. He has good news about the kingdom of God. Cornelius just like sets him up. It's perfect. This would be like my neighbor. Um, this would be like if, if I told my neighbor, I was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, Christian preacher. And, and he was like, man, that's so good, dude. Can you share Christ with me right now and lead me to the water for baptism? Do you know what I mean? That's this moment. Yes. You know, that's never happened to me. If it happens to you, we should talk. So, so then the text tells us that Peter, because he's, you know, he's going to get it at that point. Uh, it says that Peter then shares the gospel with them. Now we'll get into the details of that in a moment, but let's, I want to get back to Cornelius for a second because I don't want to miss him. So we, we have um, Cornelius who's going to, who sets Peter up here, um, but I want to talk in detail with him, but, but I want to say this before we dive in. There, there's essentially, so there's three things that, that Peter's confrontation led to that we see in the text. And, and I think these are, can, can roll over into us. Uh, the first thing that we see his com God's confrontation with Peter led into what? It, it ultimately led into Peter stepping into his calling and stepping into his destiny. Like a part of his calling was to what? Was to bring, to introduce the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, Saul, who becomes Paul, is actually gonna carry that on through the book of Acts. Saul's, uh, or Paul's specific calling was to the Gentiles. And so he'll carry it on, but Peter's the one who introduces it to them. So his confrontation allows him to do that. The second thing that God's confrontation with Peter does is it expands Peter's view of the kingdom of God. Like, isn't this what God does when he, when he pushes on us and confronts us and pushes us into deeper levels of Christian intimacy, into deeper levels of Christian discipleship? Doesn't he bring a clearer picture to the kingdom of God, um, to your life and to my life? Oh, shoot, I've been making decisions based on an incorrect belief and so I've been making decisions in my vocation because I thought that this status or this, this position would bring satisfaction. I'm actually seeing it's, it's actually not. Oh, I've been making decisions in my relationships that I thought would lead to greater satisfaction and sacrifice, like dishonoring God in, in relationships because I thought that this would bring fulfillment and satisfaction. But I'm actually seeing fulfillment and satisfaction doesn't come through that. It comes through the kingdom of God. This is what happens when God confronts us. Our clarity, our picture of the kingdom of God gets more clear. And so Peter's being, he's seeing the kingdom of God in this moment. And then the third thing that we see is what? We see convert, we see God's confrontation ultimately leads to conversion. His confrontation leads to conversion. Acts chapter 10, uh, verse one. Listen, just briefly, listen to this guy named Cornelius. This is one through three. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion um, of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man. He feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. At about three in the afternoon, he saw this vision from the angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, here's what we know about Cornelius. He had wealth, he had influence, he was a part of the Italian regiment. So basically, uh, Rome would come in, uh, Alexander the Great started this, Rome would come in, and before Alexander the Great, they would come in and just kill all the officers of the opposing army, and Alexander the Great was like, 
that's stupid. You know, he's like, we should just make them then work for us. And so this is kind of the situation, this is what we're in. So he's a part of the Italian uh, regiment. He leads probably three to 400 men, Cornelius does. We, we know that there was something going on with Cornelius. Like God was, this is what was happening. God was drawing Cornelius. He was creating an ache in Cornelius's heart. And so it said that Cornelius um, was a God-fearer. Now here's basically that meant um, that you would have Gentiles that begin to see the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, um, as someone that they wanted to follow. But because they weren't circumcised or because they weren't um, uh, ethnically Jewish individual, um, they could only get to certain parts of the temple. So if you know anything about the, the temple, the, the temple that the um, the Israelites, the Jewish people would welcome in. There's like an inner court and then another court and then another court and then another court. If you were a Gentile, you weren't considered uh, obviously fully Jewish. And so you were only allowed on the outside court. This is where you could worship. This is why when Jesus, um, when the crucifixion happened, the text tells us that what? That the curtain was torn down the middle in the temple. What did that start? It meant that all people can go into the temple. All people like are now a living testament to the goodness of God through Jesus. We're all people. And so Cornelius was one of these outer temple worshipers. And so he was, he was worshiping. He was kind of doing this thing. Here's what I think was happening with, with, um, with Cornelius that I think is really important for our day. I think God's calling him. And then I also think that Cornelius saw the God of the Old Testament as the most attractive, beautiful way to live. I think that he thought, if I'm going to flourish, it will be because I'm following the God of the Hebrews. This is how I'll flourish. And I, let me just say this to you, um, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish up and pray, but I think what our world needs the most of is to see that the way of Jesus is the most attractive, most beautiful way to live. Like I think the greatest, I think the greatest apologetic of our day is not, um, not a deep kind of rich theological knowledge, although that's important. Um, uh, not, you know, you don't have to be able to defend the faith and know all the evidence that backs up the, you know, history of the Bible and all those types of, all those things are important. I think what our world needs, at least with my neighbors and people that I interact with, I think they just need to see that, that Jesus is beautiful. There are disenchanted people who need enchantment. And they've been seeking after it. Your friends are seeking after it in all kinds of other ways. And so I think Cornelius just saw. I think he's like, man, this is how I live. This is how I flourish. Okay, so God's calling Cornelius um, and, and moving him into, uh, into deeper places. Back to our text. I'll read this and we'll be done. Back, verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. Um, it says, uh, Peter began to speak. Now I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message. So now he gives the gospel. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You know the events that took place all throughout Judea, uh, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. They went about doing good and healing all that were under the uh, tyranny of the devil. That is what we are under the tyranny of the devil. Because God was with him. Verse 39. We ourselves are witnesses of everything that he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on the tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, by, by us whom God had appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So he gives them the gospel. He says, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Here's what I um, love about Peter's story. Peter would have never imagined himself um, preaching the gospel to a room full of Gentiles. He would have never imagined himself in a room, uh, yet alone in a room with Gentiles, like just interacting with him. But here's what I found, here's what I found to be true. That as God confronts you and as God pulls you into deeper levels of intimacy, into deeper levels of, of Christian discipleship with him, you find yourself in these kind of moments. Moments that you never anticipated. Oh shoot, man! I'm I've shared the, I'm just sharing the gospel with my roommate. He's a feels like a super aggressive dude, but he, he like there's something seems to be like stirring in him. I'm just kind of following the lead. I'm trying to be faithful and and you know clean up after myself and pay rent and you know be be like a you know I'm trying to do all these things to show him, man. The way of Jesus is is changed me. It's marked me. And now I'm like now I'm sharing the gospel with my coworker. He sees me reading the Bible during my lunch, and now like he's always kind of ridiculed me for my faith. He kind of knows I go to church on Sunday and and I'm reading the Bible. And now he's kind of asking me questions about the Bible and, and because I've, I was compelled by God to begin to like try and be a witness at my work, even if it's just reading my Bible. You see, we find ourselves in these moments, in these kind of ministry moments when God confronts us. And so Peter is there. Verse 44, this is how the, this is how the narrative ends. It says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. It says, the circum- I love the detail, the circumcised believers... Peter wants you to know, or Luke wants you to know that the Hebrew leaders who are now Christian, they make this observation. It says, the circumcised believers who come with Peter were amazed because a gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of our God. Here's how kind our God is. Here's how kind he is towards Peter, towards Cornelius, and towards us. Do you know what this is? Do you know what Acts chapter 10, do you know what it is? It's Pentecost part two. Do you remember Pentecost? So we talked about it in like um, week one or week two. Pentecost in Acts chapter two, um, it says that the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon the church, right? Maybe if you have a charismatic background, you're like, ah, I know Pentecost. But Acts chapter two says that the Holy Spirit fell upon the, the Jewish listeners, and it created chaos in the city. You know this text? It created chaos in the city. And the Jewish individuals started speaking in languages that other Jewish individuals who weren't living in Jerusalem but were living other places, they started to understand. And they're like, what is this? What is happening in this moment? And then Acts chapter two, Peter stands up and shares the gospel. And people, three, it says 3,000 people come to know Christ. Now, now, listen to this. Peter finds himself not with Jewish listeners, but with Gentile listeners. Not with those who he considered ethnically uh, clean. Not those who had been following the, the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrews. But now he finds himself in a, in a, in a room full of Gentile people. And he shares the gospel with them. And then God in his kindness sends the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit falls upon them And they do what? They start speaking in other languages and declaring the 
the beauty of the kingdom of God to one another. Do you see that? God's confrontation led to the inclusion of the Gentile people into the story of Jesus. We are beneficiaries of this story. Beneficiaries. We're people who now have access to God because of this confrontation. It's an incredible thing that God does through his people, that he interjects himself, that he places himself in our story. And so maybe for you, um, maybe for you, you're feeling this kind of Cornelius draw. Maybe God's been pursuing you. He's been after you and you're like, Ugh. maybe you're not a Christian and he's been, he's been drawing you and you're like, Ugh. it's gonna change a lot of stuff. I'm gonna have to change the way that I live and the way that I talk and the way I spend my money and the way that I interact in my relationships. I just know, yes, it will. <laughs> maybe he's just drawing you. You're like, man, I feel compelled to follow the way of Jesus. Or maybe you're here, you're already a Christian. You're like, ah, man, God's been calling me. He's been telling me to like change the way I'm interacting in this space or, or I've got some disordered desires or I'm, I'm prioritizing stuff that I shouldn't. Maybe in his confrontation, he's trying to lead you into deeper. No, in his confrontation, he is going to lead you into deeper intimacy with him.